So this morning's text comes to us from Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When, they had said these, or when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And they, when they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood next to them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Luke. If you want to just keep your Bibles open there at Acts chapter 1, we're going to be looking at a bunch of different texts throughout the book of Acts this morning. And um, really, that is the question that we want to deal with is, after we've gone through this, this long series, where do we go from here? And starting back about uh, three weeks ago, we finished the series officially in Acts, and um, last few weeks we've had some guest speakers. We heard from Jay from Japan two weeks ago, one of our missionaries there, Rafal from Poland came and shared with us last week. Um, but coming out of the Acts series, it's been a rather long journey, I would say, for us as a church. I went back in this last week and tried to look and how exactly long was Acts. And so Acts is 28 chapters up here on the screen. We're going to see several different facts about the book in and of itself, 1,006 verses in the, in the original language, 18,450 individual words in the book of Acts. All of those have been read from the stage. We've looked at them week after week after week, and for many of you that are playing, paying close attention, you're probably thinking to yourself, why is he talking more about Acts? We finished the series, and you might be having that experience like I did whenever I was 15 years old. I remember going out and buying uh, some of my very first music. This is pre-Spotify, pre-Apple music, back where we actually went, we had to leave and go purchase a, a hard copy of the music, okay? And so what you would do is you would leave your house, you would go to the mall, you'd go to CD exchange or whatever, you would buy a copy of the music. And some of you don't even know what a CD looks like, but you would buy it on a CD. If you don't know what a CD looks, looks like, it looks like a DVD. Some of you may not know what a DVD even looks like at this point, but just trust me, go with me on this, and you would buy the CD. And if you, were, uh, if you were lucky enough, you had a CD player in your car, and that was awesome. You could play it on the way home, but most of the time you had to wait until you got home. And I remember working my way through these CDs, going song to song to song. I would usually end up somewhere around the 12th song, knowing it was coming to, coming to an end. And it would hit the last song, maybe three minutes and 30 seconds, and then there was silence. It stopped. Yet if you observe closely, you saw that little timer on your CD player and it just kept continuing further and further on. And maybe you'd heard somewhere through the grapevine, through friends at school or whatever, that there was a, I don't know if you remember this, the hidden track. There was the hidden track located somewhere on the CD. And so you just, it was like this adventure. It just kept going and you thought it was over. Then somewhere around 27 and a half minutes, it was back. You had more. And if you've been paying attention, you've been working your way, maybe you even got the little Acts book and you've been counting down chapter 26, 27, 28, and it's over. And then there was like two weeks of Acts silence, and now 
we seem to be back to Acts again. I don't know if you're having those thoughts. Like, can we just get on with the Christmas series? Can we just get to the next thing? Starbucks started serving Christmas drinks November 7th. I get it. Can we just, can we move on? And so many of you might be like the anxious college students at this point in time in the semester. I was one of these, but as you get closer to Thanksgiving, you know that Christmas is coming, and the professors know this as well, and they've got to work in a certain amount of material into the semester. And toward the end of the semester, it's like we have to cover more and more and more. And you get toward the end of the semester, they're cramming the material in, and it seems like the lectures maybe get longer and longer and longer, yet you get more and more anxious to get out of there. And all it takes is one student to begin that pack up, right? Open the bag, shut the laptop. Bring out the Nalgene bottle. You've got to juggle that stuff around. You've got to get water for the next class. The phone comes out. You start to scroll. And over and over and over, you just like do this. And one person does it. The second person does it. And without saying a word, everyone is basically in the class saying, hey, it's time to do what? It's time to move on. Let's get to the next thing. I get that. But there is always a risk in taking something so big and so important, not only the Bible as a whole, but the book of Acts specifically, and looking at it like like this is a countdown. Chapter 26, chapter 27, chapter 28, and impatiently you can be like that college student ready for Thanksgiving break. Can we just get to the next thing? Can we get to the next thing? Next, 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 next without ever hitting the pause button. Saying, what, what did we hear in this last year? 28 chapters, all of these words. What exactly was said? Where do we go next? And so what was it really that, that God taught us? Back in the first week, I went back in my notes and was looking at some of the statements that Jim made. What was the main purpose of the book of Acts as a whole? And as he began to describe that to us, we saw that the book of, was, of Acts was written for this reason right here. It was written to show that the kingdom of God has come, and then more than that, it's being established by his spirit. The kingdom of God has come, it's being established by his spirit. And if that is true, if that is the main purpose of why Luke wrote Acts, then we have to begin to answer that question, what is next for us as a church? What's next for us individually? Maybe a better way of phrasing this would be this way after 28 chapters 1,006 verses, 18,450 God-inspired words. Where exactly do we go from here? That's an important question. That's an important question because that answering that question and how we answer it, where do we go from here? It grounds our lives as disciples. It helps us live with one another together in community. As the church, that, that question is worth our time. It's worth our attention. And even more than that, it is probably worth at least one more Sunday. And so in light of all that, I would like to share with you just a few thoughts on the book of Acts, some reflections on the book of Acts as a whole, and where that might be leading, not only each one of us personally as followers of Jesus Christ ourselves, but where that might be leading us together as a church community. And so here would be the first reflection from the book of Acts. Where do we go from here? Well, I would say the first place and the first thing that we need to remember is that we need to continue to stay committed to one another 
in Christ. We need to continue to stay committed to one another in Jesus. And you see this all throughout the book of Acts, and you see it specifically from the very beginning. In chapter 2, you see the church living this way. It says that the church met together daily. The church was teaching. That There was teaching in the church, fellowship in the church, breaking of bread, prayers. There was awe, signs and wonders. They ate together, and this happened on a daily basis, and through all of this, the church continued to grow in the process. That's Acts chapter 4. You just move a few pages, or Acts chapter 2, you move a few pages over to chapter 4, and this is what you see. You see, the church was together. They were of one heart and mind, one in heart and soul. They had everything in common. They sold things to provide for one another, and the grace of the Lord was on them as they testified to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you read about the early church in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 4, people want to say, yeah, I want to be a part of a church. More than than that, I don't want to be a part of any church just generically, but I want to be a part of that kind of church. And from the very outset, the very beginning of Acts, you see the church going to whatever length they needed to go to stay committed to one another in Jesus. That was a part of their DNA. And sometimes that means we stay close. Sometimes that means that we stay here, but sometimes that means that we go long distances. We go further to stay committed to one another in Jesus. About a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to go to Poland to work with some of our ministry partners with the Proem group that is serving over there and was getting ready for the trip, making sure all of our preparations were taken care of, looking at our responsibilities. I knew for sure that I was going to be leading and helping with a Christian sports camp during the day, so we packed all that we needed to pack. We knew that we were also going to be taking a band with us as we went over there, and so we got all of our things packed, flew overnight, didn't sleep at all, got to the camp where we were staying, took a quick nap, went to orientation, and then woke up the next day. Literally, I'm dealing with about an hour and a half of sleep over two days. End up leading in this Christian sports camp throughout the day. And then I found out my next responsibility was to go with the band. Okay, so that was my I kind of like sports camp day, nighttime, go with the band, help out, assist with the band. And so that's exactly what I did. We went out and we were playing some music at this specific location, this restaurant. And as we were at the restaurant, started to set things up. Didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing. I'm not musical in nature. And so I'm just trying to figure out where's my niche here. And so Steve Carpenter's there. And so because Steve is there, we know he's all a little bit high maintenance on all of these things. And so he's like, you know, I just need someone to be my wardrobe manager for the trip. I'm like, sure, Steve, I can do that. Not a problem at all. Whatever you need. So throughout the week, here I am, Steve's wardrobe manager, helping out, trying not to get in the way. And on one particular evening when we went to this restaurant and the band was getting set up to play, I started to have a conversation with two young men from Poland and they were just asking me questions. What are you doing here? Why did you come? So I began to explain to them, this is why we came to Poland. We have a ministry partner here and this is the church in Poland and we want to like go and, and support what they're doing and see what the church is doing here and to be a part of God's work. And I can never forget the, the response that they had. They Just like, no, seriously, why are you here? Why, why did you come here? Is it a business trip? You know, what is this? I'm like, no, this is, we came. Now, surely you're, this is like a part of what you do. Well, yeah, this is what I do for my job. But we, as the church, we believe in going and supporting God's work. And sometimes that means going 
far distances, and they just couldn't, they could not grasp that at all. And Rafal, who spoke last Sunday morning, he was at that concert that night, and he said something last Sunday that just stuck out to me. He said that as the church, we care for one another like the world cannot understand. And that's the truth. And to the world, the church might look like some sort of strange, weird social experiment. You like to take trips to go visit each other. But to us as the church, we believe it's so much more than that. And as Christians, many times we go far distances to support the work of the gospel, what God is doing in other parts of this world. We like to visit, to challenge, to encourage. And in all of this, we're humbled to see what God is doing throughout the world. And sometimes we go far. And then sometimes we stay near. And this is the part that whenever we really start to think about this and more than thinking about it, experience it, strangely enough, this can be a bit harder. Because in the church up close with one another, we get to see the ugliness of it all. We get to see our sin. We get to see the sin of other people and the ugliness of all of this. And the sin of, and here is, here's the paradox. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, you see the church engaged with one another. You see that they're united in Christ, preaching the gospel, giving, sharing, doing all of these things. And that's Acts 2, Acts 4. Then you move to Acts chapter 5. And you have Ananias and Sapphira stealing from the church. Then you move to Acts chapter 6. You have the needs of all of these widows, and the church is trying to figure out, how are we going to meet everyone's needs here? You move further on to Acts chapter 15. You see them having to deal with this theological controversy. What are we going to do with all of these people that are now coming to follow Jesus that aren't Jews by birth? What are we going to do with this? And that was the early, the early days, the days that we would like to always look back to, romanticize those days, the early glorious days of the church. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure if you've experienced this. Most days, to me, it seems like hard work to stay committed to one another in Jesus Christ. It seems like hard work. I want you to think about this question. Have you ever found it to be difficult to be a part of the church. You ever found that to be difficult? That's probably a true statement for many of us. And it doesn't mean that we run from our responsibility that we have with one another. It doesn't mean that we just like, we're gonna pretend like that does not exist. Sometimes being with one another, together with one another, is just hard work. And what makes it even more difficult is when we come to this with all of these high expectations, some people might even say dreams of what the church could and should be for us, these unrealistic expectations. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian pastor in Germany in the 1940s. He wrote a phenomenal book called Life Together. And in the book Life Together, he describes what it was like living life together in this seminary out in the middle of the woods in Germany. And as he was going through that experience, this is what he says, he says, those people that love their dream of Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be so ever honest and earnest and sacrificial. And here is what I really needed to hear this week. 
I think sometimes, this was convicting to me, sometimes we really love the idea, we really love the dream, we really love this romanticized expectation of what it means to be with one another, of staying committed to one another in Jesus a lot more than we love the reality of it. We love that dream. We love that unfair expectation. And the truth is, is that we really love, we really want Acts 2 and Acts 4, but when it comes to Acts 5, Acts 6, Acts 15, it's like, no, thank you. I would prefer not to have that in my church. And so where do we go from here? Well, we continue to stay committed to one another in Jesus. This is what God has called us to do. And so some points of application for us is if one of the closest circles of Christian community that we might have would be our own families, then you might need to ask yourself some of these questions. Husbands and wives, do do you love the ideal or the dream of your spouse and where they need to be in Christ? Do you love that ideal? Or that dream? Do you love the ideal or the dream of your own kids and where they need to be in Christ? Kids, do you love the ideal? Or I know I did. The ideal or the dream of your parents and all that you project on them, all that you want them to be for you to meet your needs? Do you love the ideal, the dream, or do you simply love the family that God has given you with a patient endurance? that we can only have through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you love the ideal or do you love the dream? Well, I don't have a family. I, I don't have that. So let's, let's move out a circle a little bit. Sunnybrook Christian Church, do you love the ideal? Do you love the dream of Sunnybrook Christian Church and all of that the church should be for you and what we should experience together and how we're going to live life to this ideal, this dream? Do you love that as a church? Or moving further, do you love the ideal or the dream of your life group? what this life group is supposed to do for me, how this life group is supposed to meet my needs, how I can also help other people and the ideal or the dream, or do we simply love the people that God has so graciously given us with the grace that we can only receive through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you love the ideal or the dream? And so maybe as a church, I want you to hear this the right way, maybe it's time that we let go of that unfair expectation and we let go of that dream. And so the second reflection that I have is where do we go from here after 30, like 30 some weeks over a period of a year, 52 weeks, further on than that, after 28 chapters, where do we move from here? Uh, we need to continue to speak the truth of the good news of Jesus. And you see this all throughout the book of Acts. You see plenty of speeches that just abound everywhere throughout this book. You see everywhere people getting up, speaking, talking about Jesus, preaching the gospel. Somewhere around 51% of the entire book of Acts is just that. It's speeches, people getting up, speaking about Jesus. And we see it in Acts chapter 2. We see the Holy Spirit coming down. We see the power that's now established in the church. People speaking to each other in different languages. The gospel is being established for the first time. And then Peter gets up, and he begins to preach and speak the good news of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he addressed them, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. And from this very point forward, Peter begins to preach the gospel from their own story and begins to lead them to the gospel from their own history as Jews. And 
You see this throughout Acts as a whole to the Jews. He went back into their story, told them their story, told them of God's faithfulness, reminded them of this, and then led them to Jesus. And you see it on other occasions in in chapter 17, the gospel being presented in, in a different form. You have a bunch of people that are not Jews and they begin to quote their own, their own poets and use their own culture to lead people to Jesus and toward the gospel. We see different people speaking the gospel in different ways, using different approaches, depending on the context. And so we need to get the gospel out in a variety of different ways. We need to get, to get the gospel out on video. We need to get the gospel out on our phones. We need to get the gospel out in the marketplace. We need teachers. We need college students to get out there. We need coaches. We need engineers. We need community leaders. We all need to go out. I would even say my sons have just convicted me on this. You need to talk about video gamers like they're real people, Dad. Okay? We even need video gamers that put on your weird headset and all that kind of thing. We need you to speak the gospel as well. While the message stays the same, we need different people using unique God-given gifts to speak and to preach the good news of the gospel. We need people that will speak the gospel in plain, confronting ways, like we see in Acts chapter 28. We need people who will, over time, years, like Paul did in Acts chapter 19 at the Hall of Tyrannus, for two years it says that he spoke with them, he reasoned with them about the good news of Jesus Christ. We need those people that are patient, that can pray years and years and years in advance. That the gospel would come, the gospel would be established, and that in and through the church, the church would speak the good news of the gospel. And so we consider the context, we consider the people, we always consider the needs that they have, but at some point, the gospel always has to be spoken. And so not only in the book of Acts is the gospel presented in a number of different ways. If you look throughout the book, and you've probably noticed this as as we've gone through it week by week, you see that the responses to the gospel aren't always uniform. They have different responses to the gospel. In chapter 1, verse 15, we have 120 people that are in the church. You look at chapter 2, verse 41, there's... Peter preaching a sermon, 3,000 people are now a part of the church, chapter 2, verse 47. The Lord continued to add to that number, chapter 4, verse 4, there are 5,000 people in the church. Chapter 6, verse 1, it says the disciples increased in number, and then in verse 7, that they continued to multiply. And sometimes it's, it's just like that. The gospel is spoken, and the gospel is preached, and there is a positive response. Sometimes it's like we had here a couple years ago. We just tell people, look, here in a few weeks, we're going to put a pool out in back of the church here, out in the back parking lot, and we're going to have baptisms. And so over a period of a couple weeks, people started to call. The text started to come in and started, man, we want to hear, I want to hear more about this. I think I want to be baptized. And then all of a sudden, it's 25, 50 people, and you're trying to figure out how exactly we're going to do this all in one night. And sometimes that's just the response. Sometimes people will look at you in the eye and just say, yes, I'm in. But that's not always the response. It's not the only response. Acts chapter 8, persecution came on the church. And because this persecution came on the church because of the gospel, the gospel went out. Acts chapter 8, verse 4 
It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And sometimes it's neither, neither like either extreme. You don't have a positive response always, and there's not always a persecution or a negative response. Sometimes it's a little bit more in the middle. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira die. At this point, it says that a number of people came to join the church. And then I think it's kind of funny in verse 14, it says, even though a number of people came to join the church, it says, but some people didn't want to join them, though they respected them. If you've ever had that response before, I'm so glad of what God is doing in you. But as for me, and not so much, or sometimes we see a response in opposition to the gospel. Acts 28, verse 4, it says, some were convinced, yet some still disbelieved. So as you speak the gospel, don't be surprised by the responses that you get. Sometimes it's yes, they look you in the eye and say, I'm in. Sometimes it's that's nice for you, and sometimes it is no way I'm not interested. A couple years back, I had the opportunity to go and share the gospel with a young man at his house. Uh, His mom had contacted me and wanted me to come over and to share with him about Jesus. And so I said, sure, I can do that. I got my Bible. I get my car. I drive over to their house, and I pull in the driveway. And there is no way of getting around this. It's always a little bit of a nerve-wracking moment, (laughs) right? Here I am pulling in their driveway, take out my Bible, I walk down the sidewalk, walk to their front door, and start to knock on the front door. And they open the door, and I can tell the house has been prepared. They'd been cleaning, and there was a little bit of an awkward silence in the room. So I come in, and we're making small talk, talking about things. And I noticed that the dad was sort of off in a corner, kind of in in kind of this waiting room area. And I went in, and was going to meet him, and he turns around. I'll never forget the words that he said to me. He said, I know what you're here for. I just want to let you know I'm not interested. It's always what you want to hear as a pastor, right? Great. I'm so glad that I am here today. This is, this is great, right? Nice crowd breaker that we had this evening. And sometimes it's positive. Sometimes it's some, somewhere in the middle. That's good for you. And sometimes the response is negative. So where do we go from here? Well, we just don't stop. We continue to speak the good news of the gospel, no matter how foolish, no matter how weird, no matter how strange we feel, we continue to speak the good news. And so a point of application for us in this would be this. And so if you are lacking a passion to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, why is that? Why is that? And as you ask yourself that question and your response to that question, it will give you a good idea of the condition of your heart, where God needs to change you, where God needs to mold you, where areas that you, of, that you need to have repentance in your heart, that you would share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not assuming that all of us are even on the same page, even in a room like this. Some of you be like, yes, I'm all on board. I believe the gospel. I believe all about it, and I share it. Or I believe the gospel. I never share it. Or I believe the gospel. I just... I struggle sharing it. I struggle speaking of the good news of Jesus Christ. Some people might be more in the middle. You're like, look, I'll even come here every week on a Sunday morning, and I'll sit here, but as far as me responding to Jesus, that's good for you, just not for me. And some of you might come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and your response is still walls built up, no way. 
Not me. I'm not interested. And so my challenge for you is this. Acknowledge where you are and then take the next step. And my hope for you, my prayer for you would be is if you were just keeping Jesus at arm's length, if you've built up walls, if you just said, no way, or that's nice for you, just not for me, my hope for you is that in a very true Acts 2 sense, that you would be cut to the heart in repentance, and that you would know Jesus, and that you would respond to Jesus. And if that's you, then I would say there are people that will be here after the service to talk to you about that. But that would be our heart's desire for you, that you would know him. And very truth uh, that's embedded in these words always applies to us in what it means for us to follow the gospel. Charles Spurgeon said, the same sun which melts the wax hardens the clay, and the same gospel which melts persons to repentance hardens others in sin. And that's just the truth about the gospel and what it does. So reflection number three, where do we go from here? Well, we continue the mission of the church, trusting the power of God and the power of God's spirit and the power of God's plan to accomplish the mission. And the spirit's described in the Bible as a number of different ways, and a number of different ways is described as that which hovers over the waters at the creation in Genesis. The spirit's described as tongues of fire that come down in Acts. It's described as a dove that comes down at Jesus' baptism. But the Spirit is also described here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as that which gives us power when the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And we have this power, and the power of the Holy Spirit, literally that word means, the original is dynamos, and our language, that's where we get the root for the word dynamite, but it's that kind of power that we have within us that's available to us as we go out on mission to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because we have that kind of power, because the church has that power, we can be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. I don't know if you've been following along in the lobby, the map that's out there, we see all of the dots that are all over the world, and those represent different places where people have accepted Christ and were baptized. And we have dots and stickers all over that map, and all these different countries. We have uh, stickers in Denmark and England and Halifax, Nova Scotia. We have Wyoming covered. We have a lot of people that were baptized in Oklahoma and several in Texas, but a lot of people in Oklahoma. That's just the way it looks. But we have that kind of power to us, available to us in the Spirit as the Spirit has gone out. And sometimes it's good to be reminded that we do have a mission as a church. It's more than just gathering together, singing songs, creating some fun programs that people will like. So Sunnybrook, it's good to be reminded of these things. So this would be our mission. Our mission is to help people develop a relationship with Jesus and mature in their faith in order to reach the world around them. That's our mission. Our vision is to be known as the church that inspires people to live sacrificially for the mission. And more than that, we want to build disciples whose lives are built on these four pillars. The first one is we want people to know that their identity is in Christ. He's the one that gives their identity. Number two, we want people to build disciples that know the word of God. Three, we want people that have spiritual disciplines in their life which will sustain them for the long haul in their faith. And the fourth pillar that we have is we want each and every one of us to leave this place each and every time that we gather to go out and live on mission. That's our mission. That's our vision. 
Those are the pillars, and those are more than words on a slide on a screen when they're empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, which they are. And that mission involves all sorts of different things. It involves budgets, it involves people, it involves volunteers, it involves buildings, and we're excited. And in the next several months, we're going to be breaking ground on our new kids' facility that's going to be dedicated toward early childhood and our kids' ministry. And we are excited for all the excitement, the newness that that is going to bring for us. But more than that, we are excited that we're going to have a better place to help train the next generation of followers of Jesus Christ to go out and share the gospel and the good news of the gospel under the power of the Holy Spirit, living on mission. That is what we are most excited about. Not a new building in and of itself. And in all of that, we want to be flexible. Flexible to the leading of the Spirit, because not only is the Spirit described as a dove, not only is the Holy Spirit described as the Spirit that hovers over the waters, not only is the Holy Spirit that which gives us power, mysteriously enough, the Spirit is described simply as wind. Acts chapter 2, verse 2, it's described as a violent wind. Literally, that word means powerful. It means life-giving. John describes it in John 3, 8, as the wind blows where it wishes, and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. As people that live in Oklahoma, of all people, we should understand this. You cannot see the wind, but you know the power that it exists. We know the power that it has. And wouldn't it be incredible as a church to be known as the church that when people look at us, they can't, it's like we can't put our, our finger on it, we can't see it, we don't know what is causing that kind of life change. Surely it's not the condition of their parking lot here. We know that's not it. What's causing this? It's the power of the Spirit. Wouldn't it be awesome to be known? Wouldn't it be humbling to be known as the church that as we go out on mission, completely dependent on the, on the Spirit's power, it would be like a sailor going out, hoisting up the sails, and just waiting. Waiting for the power. Waiting for the mysterious power of the wind. The power of the Spirit to direct us. And I'm so grateful to be a part of a group of churches that as we have read this book of Acts over the last year or so, part of a group of churches that typically as we have read through the book, we've used it more like a playbook. This is what they did in Acts, so we're going to do the same thing. And you know what? I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for a tradition that does that. But that's not really the only way to look at it, just patterns, Look at the main pattern in the book of Acts. It's just God continues to do what God said he was going to do in and through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. You go to Acts chapter 2, and as Peter's preaching, the Spirit comes. And Peter said, look, God said this in advance many years ago through the prophet Joel, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out, and that the Holy Spirit would come, and the Holy Spirit would give us power concerning the life and death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. This was said that this was going to happen. Psalm 118, that he has now ascended to the right hand of the Father. Psalm 110 talks about this, and Psalm 118 talk about this idea that uh, he is the stone that you builders have rejected that has become the cornerstone. This was predicted. God has done and continues to do in and through the church by the power of the Spirit, his work. 
And it's in that power that we trust him to continue to do his work. And so where do we go from here? Well, we need to look at that map out in the lobby. And we need that little town in north central Oklahoma called Stillwater to continue to be filled with dots. More and more and more. And in addition to that, it need not stay there. It needs to continue to move out, to spread under the power of the Spirit. And that's why we support missionaries in New Guinea and Ghana and Japan and Poland and a host of other churches here in the United States. We trust that God is going to continue to do his work in and through the power of the Spirit. That as we trust him and as we trust his power, that the message of the gospel will continue to go out to the very ends of the earth. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you even more than just today, but for the last year. And it can be tempting to go through a book like Acts and just really want to move to the next thing without waiting for a minute and reflecting on really what you've done in and through us. So God, we just continue to ask you that you would speak to us through this book and that it wouldn't be known as the one time that we went through Acts at Sunnybrook, but it would truly be what you continue to do in and through us as the church, by the power of the Spirit, each and every day. Amen.